NBA fans need to listen to this episode. I had Hunter on the phone with me this week talking about the Utah Jazz. And yes, I know I had Andy Larson on the show a couple weeks ago talking about the Jazz. But this time I'm bringing Hunter on to give you a different perspective. We're going a little bit more in-depth. We're going to talk about why Donovan Mitchell has fit in so well in Utah. We're also going to talk about who Hunter's favorite player is on the Jazz. It's going to surprise you. He's going to discuss why. Even later in the episode, we're going to talk about the Boston Celtics. So we're getting into a deeper discussion of the NBA, whether or not the Celtics can actually take out the Cleveland Cavaliers in a seven-game series. Hunter's going to be breaking it down for you today on the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boo! What's going on, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of The Game Time Guru. Now, today is a special day because I'm joined by Hunter from Sports Take, and he's going to be joining me for a discussion on the Utah Jazz as well as the NBA. And first, I want Hunter to introduce himself a little bit, and we're going to talk about what he's got going on on the side. Hunter, thanks for joining the show. No, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, not a problem, man. I, and I was really excited when I was going through Instagram. This is how Hunter and I connected. Is going through Instagram, found this site, like this page, and they were posting some stuff. I noticed they were from Utah. So there's a few connections there. I'm a jazz fan, as everybody knows. Uh, I had Andy Larson on the show a few weeks ago talking about the jazz. So I saw a couple posts on the jazz, and I was like, you know what? I need to grab this guy and get him on here. So, yeah, I'm stoked to have you on here. But first, we need to let the listeners know what this is this little company is that you guys got started and who you guys are. So first off, what is sports take? Yeah. Well, so first, before I start, I want to give you a quick shout out. I listened to your weekly recap podcast. Um, just the one you kind of posted last weekend, you picked the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl. Fantastic choice. I think we're going to get along <laughs> just fine. Oh no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so sports take is just this website I created back in April, um, kind of as a way to build my portfolio when it comes to sports journalism and writing because I'm a journalism major just at the University of Utah. So I wanted to build up a portfolio so I could, you know, put it on my resume when applying for jobs or internships with various media outlets or any newspapers in the future. So it kind of just started as that, and then it's obviously taken off, and now we're um, producing a podcast. We've got our site going on where we give, um, you know, weekly articles, some more major articles. We had one just a few weeks ago talking about life as a student athlete at the University of Utah. And then we also do kind of just smaller ones like NBA power rankings and stuff like that. Where can we find your content? So our website is sport or sportstake.wix site. So that would be S-P-O-R-T-S-T-A-K-E dot W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash sportstake. That's our website where we post all our articles. And then we also have tabs for links to the podcast, as well as little bios about each of us who contribute to the website and to the podcast as well. That's so rad. And what is the best experience so far for you since you guys have started Sports Take? Oh, man, I probably would just have to say watching it grow. Um, like I said, I started it just by myself, you know, doing these articles back in April. I would just take, you know, whatever free time I had at work just in my office cubicle writing. Uh, sports has always been a passion for me, so 
I wanted to get my opinions out there. Um, you know, obviously, I think my friends and family were sick of hearing my opinions on sports, so I needed to find a new outlet. But just seeing it grow from doing that to then rolling out a podcast, and even the first podcast we did, there was just three of us huddled around one mic. To now, we have our weekly podcast we do, as well as um, three additional podcasts. So just seeing it grow to, you know, just me writing in my office cubicle to now having a whole team of workers both writing and producing podcasts is pretty exciting to watch. You said, yeah, we'll get along, Greg, because that shows the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl. Let me, let me just say of one course. thing on that. I've <laughs> got to say, I do not like the Patriots, but I respect them for being one of the best teams, one of the best franchises in, in NFL history. I just can't stand them, but they are so good. But the second thing is, I need to say this, I think we will get along for another reason, too. And when you said that you started it kind of to build a portfolio, well, my listeners know that that's the same exact reason that I had actually originally started my podcast was to build a portfolio because sports media has always been my passion. And so I think that's kind of crazy that you just said that. I didn't even know that. So it's kind of cool to see the, the correlation there. I think, yeah, we will most certainly get along yeah. pretty well. And I think, there's a, I think there's a third reason as well is that we're both Ohio State fans. So Oh, yeah, go Bucks. Go there Bucks, we go. Gio. There we go. So, you know, all things considered, I think we're going to get along just great. Perfect. And you're at the U of U, so that's in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, and you yep. kind of cover the Utah Jazz, like you talked about like, the Jazz podcast that you have um, that you guys have got started up there. Have, are you actually a Jazz fan, or are you only focused on them because you go to school in that city? Um, well, so I actually I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. I moved out to Utah when I was about 13, um, went to high school out here and everything. I would consider myself a Jazz fan. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest jazz fan in sports take. We have Talmadge Ames, who is our NBA guy, and he's a pretty big diehard jazz fan. Um, Admittedly, I am a Boston Celtics fan. They're probably my favorite team just because my dad is from the Boston area. So me and my family are pretty big into Boston sports, but I would still consider myself a jazz fan. Um, And obviously, you know, living here in Salt Lake and then also working for the jazz makes me more of a fan. Dude, okay, that's totally fair. And we're going to get to that Boston Celtics thing. I have a question for you later on in the episode, but we're going to focus on the to Jazz. <laughs> we're, going to look, or we're going to start with the Jazz here right now. And like I said, a few oh, weeks yeah. back, I had I had Andy Larson join me for a quick discussion about the Jazz, right? He talked about this season, some of the, the surprises, one of those being Donovan Mitchell. Not really a surprise, but Mitchell came into the season – um, the rookie, and we were trying to see what he was going to do. Well, he's fit in extremely well, and he did it very quickly. Um, but what has impressed you most about Donovan Mitchell this season? I mean, Donovan has been amazing. I think the most um, impressive thing to me about Donovan is just how much he's embraced the city of Salt Lake um, and the community in Utah. It's not often that you see these NBA guys uh, attending local college basketball games, especially the day after you know, they score 41 points, which Donovan did after his big night in New Orleans. The next night, he was at the University of Utah basketball game. Um, but, you know, whether it's going to BYU or Utah basketball games or signing autographs at the Salt Lake City Stars games or the G League offici- uh, the G League team of the Utah Jazz or, you know, doing this meet and greet, which he did a couple weeks ago for two hours at the mall, you know, the way Donovan's embraced Utah just has been phenomenal to watch, I think. He did a podcast, which everyone should go listen to, on the Michael Rappaport podcast, where he talked about kind of how he fell in love with Utah when he first came out here for a workout and how he was disappointed initially because he thought he wouldn't fall as far as 24 to end up with the Jazz. But 
you know, it's not every day you see these guys come in and just embrace the city and embrace the community the way Donovan has, which, you know, that's probably the most impressive thing I've seen from him. That's awesome to hear from somebody who's not there. Like, I'm a huge Jazz fan. I'm only about five hours away from Salt Lake, but I'm not there. So it's cool to hear mm-hmm. from somebody who actually gets to see that. Now, the only concern I have with that is that, you know, Gordon Hayward came in and he embraced Utah. And, and Darren Williams, back in the day, he did the same thing. Do we have that yeah. same fear that, you know, Mitchell's going to get the, the city around him and then his rookie contract's over or, you know, later on when he becomes a free agent back, you know, once he becomes a star, he bounces like the rest of them did? Um, I mean, there's obviously going to be that, you know, fear, that underlying fear, especially, you know, just so soon after Gordon Hayward left. Um, one thing I will say is, you know, Trey Burke, when he came into Utah, I think the first day he was here, he tweeted out something about how he could see himself spending his entire career here in Utah and how much he loved Salt Lake City. Obviously, you know, he was here no more than just a few years. And then when he left, there were some hard feelings and came out and said no one really wanted to play for the Jazz. But with Donovan, I, you know, there's a level of sincerity that I see from him that's, you know, more so than I saw from Gordon, more so than I saw from Trey. Um, I mean, Donovan's out here, you know, being able to interact with him and just kind of, you know, seeing behind-the-scenes stuff. Donovan's out here taking kids from the sidelines and bringing them on court to shoot around. There was a game towards the beginning of the season where most people weren't able to see this, but, and, you know, half an hour or so after the game when Donovan had already showered and was out of the locker room, he went out and was shooting around on the court with some fans and with some younger kids. So I think there's a level of sincerity that Donovan shows that, you know, has been unmatched from any other player I've seen in recent years. So obviously, you know, with a guy like Gordon leaving after jazz fans thought that he was going to stay, it's going to sting a little bit and there's still going to be that underlying fear that he's going to leave. But Everything I've seen so far from Donovan, you know, points to the fact that he really loved Utah and has embraced the city. Well, you just gave me a little bit of hope, so that's good. Then, uh, <laughs> what is the yeah, right? What is the biggest area improve of improvement? Sorry, that you can see in Mitchell. Like, what he's great. We see he's this amazing athlete. He's killing it on the court. But what's the biggest area of improvement for Mitchell so far that you see? I think it's just his command of the offense. Um, it's improved drastically since the beginning of the season. Um, I think, you know, if you were to go back two months, there's no way Quinn Snyder has him taking a game-winning shot. Um, early on, you know, in October or the beginning of November, that just wouldn't have been a thought. Most of those shots would have gone to guys like Rodney, um, Rodney Hood, Derek Favors, Joe Johnson. But, you know, the fact that Quinn Snyder had the confidence in him just a couple of nights ago in Miami – to give Donovan the ball with three seconds left down by one. Obviously, it didn't work out well. He missed the shot. The Jazz lost a tough one. But, you know, that confidence Quinn Snyder has in him. And also just you see these stats improve. By the end of October, Donovan was scoring nine points per game and shooting below 30% from three. And now here we are almost halfway through the season, and Donovan is, you know, doubled that to now 18 points per game and 35% from three. Um, and also, I think the ability of Donovan to be able to pass the ball, I think his court vision is fantastic. Um, I think, you know, this is not a common opinion, but I think Donovan Mitchell is just as every bit as talented as a passer as Ben Simmons is. Um, obviously, Simmons is a pass-first guy and is a point guard, while Mitchell is more of a shoot-first guy. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Mitchell replace Rubio as the starting point guard in the next month or so. 
Um, a lot of that depends on the play of Rodney Hood and if Hood is able to return to the starting lineup and if they can plug him in there at the two. But I think, you know, the future of the Utah Jazz is Donovan Mitchell at the point guard. Sweet. And so we're talking about we're almost midway through the season. Mitchell's getting more and more confident. Uh, you could see this. You're, you're making the prediction that, you know, he could be you know taking over that point guard role moving forward. We never know, but it's possible. Yeah. What do you see happening with the Jazz this season? Do you see us being a playoff team sneaking into the 7-8 eight, eight seed, or do you think this is just more of our building building up season and then looking forward to the future? What's your thoughts? I want to say they're a playoff team. <laughs> I really do. Um, I think it's going to be a tough uphill battle for the Jazz. I'm not saying that it's, they're out of it just yet, um, but they definitely face you know a tough road ahead especially after going 3-17 and 17 on the road to start this year and then losing eight of their last ten games doesn't help one bit when you're trying to catch New Orleans for that eighth seed. Um, I think we'll have to see with the return of Rudy Gobert, hopefully in the next few weeks or so. Um, I think that will be big to help them out in the Western Conference standings. But, you know, the way the Western Conference looks now, you got Golden State at one, two is Houston, three is the Spurs, Minnesota's at four, OKC's at five. The Trailblazers are at six. Denver's the seventh seed, and New Orleans is there hanging on in the eighth seed with the Clippers catching up. Um, like I said, it's not impossible, but I have a hard time looking at those standings and finding a team that the Jazz can catch and possibly replace there in the playoffs, um, barring some sort of injury to a guy like Damian Lillard or Jokic from the Nuggets. I think unless one of those guys, a key member of the lower-seeded playoff teams, gets hurt and misses significant time, it'll be hard for the Jazz to make their way into the playoffs. That's what I'm thinking, too. Um, if I'm being a realist, it's, this is more of that season to kind of feel, out the, feel everything out and see who yeah. we want and who we don't want and who we want to build around. It seems like we have that foundation. Um, I also think, after speaking with Andy Larson a few weeks ago, too, it, I don't think we're going to be keeping Rubio. I don't think he's in our long-term plans, unfortunately. But at the same time, I think we could build around it. I think Mitchell and uh, Gobert give us – it gives Utah that, that glamour. Um, so maybe a free agent or somebody will want to come here and play. So in the next five years, do you see us being in the top four or five teams in the, in the West? Um, I think it's definitely possible. Like you were saying, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, what the Jazz do with – these Derek Favors and Rodney Hood contracts. This is the last year of their deals. Um, Ricky Rubio as well. That was, you know, the that Rubio trade with Minnesota was obviously um, to help the Jazz chance of getting of re-signing Gordon Hayward, um, which obviously didn't happen. And you've seen Rubio's role diminish as the season goes on. Um, but this, uh, you know, depends on what they do with guys like Derek Favors, Rodney Hood, Alec Burks will be a free agent not this year but next year. Um, seeing what they do with those guys, I think, like you were saying, Donovan will be an excellent building block. I think this year will mostly be spent towards kind of feeling him out, seeing what he's doing, and then also developing him. Um, and Gobert, obviously, is a defensive stud. I think any offensive player will be lucky to be able to play with him and want a guy like Gobert on their team. So I think Utah, you know, especially with these relationships Donovan has built with guys like Westbrook and LeBron and Wade, um, not saying any of those guys are going to be signing with the Jazz anytime soon, but Mitchell's obviously a guy who's well-respected around the league, which should definitely help the Jazz's chance of being able to sign a more marquee free agent than they've been able to do in recent memory. 
Oh, see, here we go. This is why I'm glad to have you on here again. You're giving me hope for the future. So, <laughs> That's what I'm here to do. Yeah. yeah. I hope you need. My whole life has come true, but... No, it will, right? That's <laughs> like what happens. Like, like LeVar Ball says, you just got to speak it into existence. There we go. That's exactly what it is, because he's the one we want to listen to. No, yeah. <laughs> so many players, you know, they've been quoted saying that, you know, Utah is one of the toughest places to play because of the fans. Like a lot of players have said that over, over the course of time, right? And last year, to me, it really felt like you, like basketball was back in Utah with the playoff run and everything like that. And I finally got mm-hmm. to go to a few games again. Like I got to go see them play the Clippers game three. I got to see them lose to the Warriors game four. But it was still an amazing electric atmosphere. Um, I want to know what your thoughts are, though. How's the atmosphere for the fans this season? Oh, Jazz fans are great. Yeah, you know, they're if not the best fans. I think, you know, as far as fans go, I think Boston has a great fan base. The Trailblazers up in Portland have fantastic fans, and Utah's got to be, you know, top five fan bases in the NBA. Just the way they show out, it's been a fantastic atmosphere here in Salt Lake. Um, a large majority of that is due to the fact that Donovan Mitchell has hands down been the most exciting player, not only I think on this year's Jazz team, but I think Donovan has been the most exciting player since Darren Williams in the early 2000s. You know, this guy has a Sports Center top 10 dunk nearly every game. He's taking it at LeBron James. He's just an exciting guy to watch. So, which has definitely helped um, with the fans' level of excitement and, you know, that atmosphere that they've got going on here in Salt Lake. Um, games like the ones against the Pelicans, in which Donovan scored 41, was crazy to be at. And, of course, there was the game just a couple weeks ago against Cleveland. It was, crazy, was probably as crazy as I've ever seen it, including last year in the playoffs. Um, the fans in Utah are just great. I, you know. Like I said, one of the best fan bases in the entire NBA. And even when a team, you know, the Jazz aren't that much fun to watch, which this year, other than Donovan, it's kind of been a stalemate. But, you know, they still bring it every night. They still get excited, and which makes the games really fun to go to. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know. Is Mitchell your favorite player this season? So I'm actually going to give you a different answer. Okay, you okay, know, I like that. Swerve, you swerve you a little bit. You know, the easy answer is Donovan, um, just because he's fantastic. He's exciting and young. But besides that, if I'm going deeper down, my favorite jazz guy this year is actually Pablo Cephalosha. Um, he's kind of been a Swiss Army knife player for the jazz. And for you know any listeners who don't know what that means, it's just, you know, Pablo's just done it all for Utah. And I don't think he gets recognized enough for what he's been able to do with the jazz, considering he's averaging a career high in points this season. Um, also, with the jazz, he's been shooting well from three. And he is, is playing the most efficient basketball that he's ever played. Um, and when you look at the numbers, the Jazz are actually plus 1.5 when Pablo Sopolosha is on the court, which isn't great. Um, but it's good, compare, uh, especially when you compare it to guys like Rodney Hood, who has a plus minus of negative 2.4, or Alec Burks, who has a negative 2.2. So I think Tabo Cephalosha, he's kind of, you know, been all over the court. He defended LeBron when LeBron went for that game-tying layup just a couple weeks ago. And just the attitude that he's had, because he doesn't play, you know, regular minutes. He doesn't. There will be some games where he's a starter, and the next game he won't play at all. So just the attitude and the positivity that Cephalosha's brought to the team, as well as his on-court contributions probably, other than Mitchell, is my favorite jazz man this year. He's always been one of those, like, journeymen. Like, he goes to a team, he plays well. Every time he's on a team, like, he's always been consistent. I mean, mm-hmm. there's never really been a time where he's been terrible. He's always been consistent. He kind of reminds me, 
of a I, I guess it's gonna be a terrible comparison, but Matt Barnes was also a journeyman. Granted, he yeah. was a troublemaker and everything like that, but <laughs> he, he wasn't too there. fond of Utah, <laughs> right? Yeah, but uh, Sepalosha, I was excited when when they decided to sign him, but I'm just excited how well he's fit with this team. Yeah, and I think the Jazz have kind of found their niche when it comes to signing free agents, like we talked about earlier. The Jazz, you know, have never really been able to grab, you know, a big name free agent, but I think finding these journeymen. Uh, guys like Joe Johnson, guys like Jonas Jurevko, guys like Pablo Sefalosha in recent years, you know, has really kind of been Utah's thing where they just bring in these veterans who can come in and do what they need to do to be able to win. Um, I'll be interested to see, you know, what they do this offseason and if they can bring any guys like that in again. Um, but it's definitely been fun to watch these guys come in and contribute. Right. Is that, that's cool. The the ownership that speaks to how well they are as as an ownership and, and – uh, you know, if they're able to land those guys and they can come in and contribute pretty much immediately, that's pretty cool because you can't always do that. Not every team gets that opportunity and has that ability to find those guys. Um, yeah. My question for you is, in regard from a fan's perspective, like you've been around the game a lot, uh, you've been there. If you had to trade any player right now, if you think you know, if, if we could trade one guy away and maybe get a package deal to help the Jazz make that push for the eighth seed. Who would you be trading? Um, well, so i got to be careful here as an employee of the Jazz. You know, Instead, how about I give you a guy that I actually think Utah should go after and trade let's, for? Let's do that. Let's do that's that. All right. that's, that's safe. That's a safe way to do it. Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble with my bosses. So, um, But one guy I think that the Jazz should take a long look at is Justice Winslow from Miami. Um, right now, the Heat have made no indication that Justice Winslow is available and any trade talks or anything like that. Um, but I think, you know, the Jazz should look at trying to get a trade done for him. He's only averaging 22 minutes a game in Miami, and has kind of been ostracized in that heat system and in their offense. Um, Winslow's not necessarily known as a great shooter, but this season he's actually averaging 39% from three, which, to give you an idea, is better than Donovan Mitchell, Alec Burks, Pablo Cephalosha, and Joe Johnson. So I think in Utah's system, with a coach like Quinn Snyder, who's well-known for getting the most out of all of his players um, and for being able to create a system in which players can thrive, I think that would be a tremendous fit for a guy like Winslow. Um, now, of course, to make that deal happen, Utah would probably have to give up a guy like Alec Burks or Rodney Hood to free up some minutes in that wing position because the Jazz don't want to get into a log jam at the small forward position. Um, but I think a guy like Justice Winslow would be great to bring in. He's young, he's super athletic, and pair him with Donovan Mitchell and just see what those two can do. If you know, at the very least, they'll make some pretty exciting dunks. Um, and I also think Jordan Clarkson, who, according to Adrian Wojnarowski um, from ESPN, is available from the Lakers. I think would be another great guy to bring in. The Jazz need some shooting from their point guard position. Rubio obviously hasn't cut it. Um, so I think Jordan Clarkson would be an interesting guy to keep a look at. There's also, obviously, that Nikola Miritich um, trade talks from the Chicago Bulls. He's interested in joining the Jazz. The Jazz are interested in going after him. But there's a few things that would have to happen in order for that to work. Um, so, yeah those, yeah, those are a couple guys I think would be worth keeping their eye on and Jazz fans to take a look at. I always thought of Winslow when he came out for the NBA draft and he didn't really have a stellar college career. He had a stellar NCAA tournament. And that yeah. was when he really, like, he didn't really do anything throughout the season that was, you know, jaw-dropping. But then he had a great run in the tournament. 
And I thought he was in a perfect system for him when he got to the Heat. And I thought he was going to fit in really well. I, I always thought of him as one of those athletic guys that he was very raw. I thought he had the, yeah. you know, the, the potential to become something. So, like you said, the Jazz system, it, 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 Snyder gets them to – he gets the best out of his players. And I think that would be awesome. very interesting. And then Clarkson, man, like you said – Rubio's not cutting it from a scoring standpoint. What sucks is we went from George Hill, who could actually put up 20 points when he wanted to any given night, to, statistically speaking, the worst shooting point guard in the NBA last year, I should mm-hmm. say. But it was kind of a – yeah, we we traded big time on that one. That was a complete 180. So it would be cool yeah. to have a little bit of scoring at that position again. I'm totally with you there. Winslow, I think, you know, like you are saying, he's a very raw as far as talent-wise goes. But he's got, you know, all the upside in the world. He's uber-athletic. Um, it's not a knock on Eric Spolster by any means. He's a fantastic coach. and um, But kind of, you know, in that Miami setting, you know, they've guys, got guys like Hassan Whiteside, James uh, James Johnson, and Deion Waiters, which are pretty, you know, not ball dominant, although Waiters is ball dominant. But, you know, just out in the public image, they're very dominant personalities. And so I think Winslow kind of got lost in that whole in the locker room and just on the offense. And so I think, you know, moving over to Utah with Quinn Snyder, where the guys are kind of more about come in, do their job. I think Quinn would definitely be able to utilize Winslow um, and utilize his talents. And then, like you said, Rubio, definitely not cutting it. Um, And the problem with Rubio is playing with him with Gobert and Favors is now you have three guys on the court who can't shoot, um, which then, of course, allows teams to crowd the paint, and then you just got Donovan out there taking threes. So if they can find a scoring point guard, and I think Clarkson might be it, you know, it might be worth worth it for Dennis Lindsay to take a look at those guys. You heard it here first, Hunter from Sports Day. There you go. All right. Jumping into the next segment, just wanted to talk about this. I know you're not a, you weren't like a major Jazz fan. You said you were a Celtics fan, which again, we're going to get to in a second. I got a question about the Celtics, but I want to know what your favorite jazz memory is. Maybe it might even be within the last year or two uh, since you've been working with them, or maybe you have a childhood memory of them. I want to know what your favorite jazz memory is. So the first one might – I have two memories. Um, The first one might not be your fondest memory, but it's actually when Baron Davis put Andre Karolinko on a poster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) An image which still hangs in, I think, the Warriors practice facilities. Um, but you know, that's still to this day, one of my favorite basketball plays of all time. It was exciting. And just kind of the swagger Baron Davis had about him was pretty epic. Um, so that one is probably not the fondest memory in jazz fans, uh, hearts, but I will give you a good one, which is Sunday out of games. When he hit that buzzer beater to beat Cleveland in 2010, that was a pretty crazy game, especially when I started to see people wearing Sunday out of games jerseys around Salt Lake. Um, you know, with one shot, you can become an instant jazz legend. And what makes that even greater is the fact that LeBron has only won once in Utah since that shot. Man, and I have a kid, I have, I have a comment on both of those memories. See, to the listeners who are, are actually listening to this episode, Hunter and I did not discuss this beforehand, what his memories were, just so we know that. Like, did I ask you, like, beforehand, and did you tell me beforehand what those memories no. were? Okay. You sent, you sent me the questions, and that was that. Yes. Okay. So first things first, I, when I was talking to Andy Larson a couple of weeks back, I asked him um, about his, you know, his memories as a reporter and all that stuff and like what he's seen during his time. He mentioned the Sunday out of game shot. And I was telling him the same <laughs> thing. 
the Sunday out of game shot, what's crazy about that is that was literally the day before I came home. I served a mission for my church. My listeners probably know by now. And I was in Brazil, and I was at the the mission office, and they were allowing us to look at the Internet that day because I was coming home the next day. I got to see that all over the Internet. So then the very next day, you know, I flew home, took like 20 hours to get home. But all of my friends in Idaho who are huge jazz fans were telling me about this this shot because Sunday out of Gaines got called up from the Idaho Stampede, who was our, mm-hmm. you know, the, the D, G League affiliate, D League at the time for the Jazz, and they played here in Boise. So it was a huge thing here in Boise as well as in Salt Lake because the guy gets called up and then hits the shot. Crazy, crazy, because yeah. I just remember that like it was yesterday. <laughs> there you are, probably a Jazz fan. This is the first time you've ever been able to look at the Internet and you suddenly see this guy Sunday out of Gaines from the Jazz. You probably think this is the new cornerstone of the franchise. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow, well, Lewis, that's awesome. Little did you know it was his first day on a 10-day contract from the D-League. There you go. See, I, did, I had no clue, man. And then uh, in regards to Baron Davis dunking it over Kirilenko, I, that was that made me so mad because then he lifted up his shirt and then did his whole <laughs> fiasco. But actually, my favorite memory as a Jazz fan, I have, you know, obviously when I was in third grade, little kid, we go to the finals. Um, and that John Stockton hitting it over, you know, as a buzzer against Houston in Houston. That was amazing. Uh, I remember my dad actually, like, the way he cheered in the house when it happened. But when I got older and I actually got invested in the sports, like my, I was, like, physically and mentally and emotionally invested in sports, it was that same 2007 playoff series against the Warriors, uh, that same series when, when Davis dunked it over Kirilenko, when we actually beat them. Because my friends and I, we decided, like, Last minute, we were going to go to the to, to game five. We were like, we're going to go down to Salt Lake. We paid 65 bucks a ticket to sit up two seats, like two rows from the very top. Um, I think it was still the Delta Center at the time. might have been Energy Solutions. Can't remember at that time. But anyways, it, uh, it we go all the way to the top, behind the backboard, probably the crappiest seats in the entire arena. I've been there. I go to a game every single year. <laughs> Terrible seats, but it was the most electric atmosphere I've ever been to because we closed out the series that game. Uh, and at that time, I hated Matt Barnes. I actually grew to respect him later, but I hated Matt Barnes. Uh, but I got to and now you him. hate him again. <laughs> I do, yeah. Just watching them win, and then we made it to the Western Conference Finals because of that, but it was like a party downtown, and we actually we drove up that day. We watched the game. The game didn't get over until about midnight because the game was like an 8.30 start, and there was so much celebration. We actually had to drive back down to Boise because we had to work at 8 o'clock in the morning. So we made it, made it a one-night trip, boom, boom, came back, went to work. One of the coolest experiences of my life. And I'm just hoping that we, we get more of that in the next five years or so because I have a little boy. I want him to experience some good stuff. I don't want him to be like me where he has to watch his teams lose all the time. I'm a Cowboys fan, stuff like that. Oh, we, we never win. We never win. Yeah, another side story. My Actually, the first Jazz game that I can remember that I've ever been to was that very same year in the Western Conference Finals playing the Spurs. Um, which obviously was a heartbreaking series, but you know that year for jazz basketball, I agree, was crazy. And that that Western Conference Finals, I'll tell you this right now, though, in the first two games there were some very very bad no calls in those first two games. Everyone's gonna say, oh yeah, you guys got smoked by them, blah blah blah. Okay, that's cool. I understand that, but there were some really bad no calls that switched the momentum in the first two games of the, yeah. of the series. And I will say right now, I truly believe that switched the momentum because the Jazz were actually playing well considering they always sucked in San Antonio. But that was yeah. that was a great season, man. Um, moving moving from the Jazz, we're going to finish up here with just a, an NBA rundown. And I've mentioned it a couple of times. Kind of re, re, you mentioned that you are a Celtics fan. I want to look at the yeah. NBA as a whole right now. 
it actually just came out today. One of the guys, I can't remember which uh, sports outlet it was from, but he was talking about he's the first person to finally say this Celtics team can beat the Cavaliers in the seven-game series. I'm a LeBron fan. I love LeBron. I'm not necessarily a Cavaliers fan. I just root for him because mm-hmm. of LeBron. I do like, I like the way he plays basketball. And I still think the Cavaliers are just coasting right now. And, they, and, and I truly feel that they would just smash the Celtics in the seven-game series. But I want the opinion of someone who actually, you know, for one, works in the media and gets to see basketball from a first, you know, right there in the game. Mm-hmm. And somebody is a Celtics fan. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so first off, I want to say that whoever that was in the media who claimed that he was the first one to say the Celtics could win, uh, that's false, considering I've been saying for the last two months on our podcast that the Celtics are legit contenders. Um, I think, you know, the way, obviously, LeBron's not, you know, in full speed yet. They're still working back Isaiah Thomas. The Cavs are going to be a far different team come playoff time than we see right now. But I think it's foolish of anyone to think that the Celtics can't threaten the Cavs, um, at least take that series to seven games. I mean, you got Kyrie Irving, who, in my opinion, you know, is a dark horse MVP candidate, um, certainly top five. You got Jason Tatum, who very well could be the rookie of the year. You got guys like Jalen Brown and Al Horford, who are very underrated as far as what they do to contribute to the Celtics and their game plan. They've got one of the best coaches in the league. Um, in my opinion, the second best coach behind Popovich, and he's still in his 30s. I think the Celtics aren't only built to win, you know, now, but they're built to win for the next two, 10 years. So I think the Celtics are a team that, you know, fans as well as other NBA personnel should keep their eyes out for. Because if I were the Cavs, I would still be leery of, you know, meeting Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals, especially if the Celtics are able to clinch that number one seed in the East and have home court advantage, because if it comes down to a game seven in Boston, you know, the Celtics are going to be tough to beat. I respect it. As I'm sitting here listening, yeah. I totally respect it. I'm not a, I'm a, when I was asked if I'm team Kyrie or team LeBron, I'm obviously team LeBron, but I do respect Kyrie. Mm-hmm. I think Kyrie's one of the most talented point guards I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. But I, Another- I will say this, he is amazing. And I think the Celtics have put together quite the team. And in fact, I, believe that Hayward injury was a blessing in disguise because you got to see guys like Tatum and Brown step up big time and you got to see what they actually had. And they, they've done a really good job of doing that. So absolutely. Also, um, I failed to mention Boston is a sneaky, good defensive team. Um, they're currently number one in both defensive efficiency and, and limiting their opponent scoring. So I don't think that's a team LeBron necessarily wants to go head up over a seven game series going up against that defense. Good point, considering Avery Bradley got traded out this this offseason, and that was one of the biggest concerns was their defense. It seems like their team defense overall, while their one-on-one defense isn't necessarily, in my opinion, the greatest. In fact, I think they hurt sometimes one-on-one defensively. Their team defense is almost like the Spurs, where it's like it's yeah. suffocating. They're everywhere where they need to be. Like if somebody gets beat, they have the help on the right side. They take the right angles. They cut people off. And like you said, it's it's actually it's one of those things that as a statistic that not everybody knows, and they are yeah. <laughs> very good. Absolutely, yeah, the Celtics are phenomenal. In the Western Conference, the Warriors are they a lock to go through the West? And if not, who's the team that can actually beat them in seven games? Um, I think they're a lock. Uh, you got to look at it. You know, I think they're in a similar boat as the Cavs. 
you know, I don't think we're seeing a full Warriors team right now. Steve Kerr, whether it's by design or by default, you know, you haven't seen a lot of Steph Curry and Durant playing together. Uh, you saw it for the first couple of weeks of the season, and then due to injuries and rest, you know, Steph Curry had that in- ankle injury that sidelined him for about a month, and then once he's back, uh, Steve Kerr has kept Durant out of the lineup, which I think does one of two things. One, it makes it hard for the other team to get a good scouting report and a game plan against those two. Um, and two, it keeps both of them fresh for the playoffs because at this point, everyone knows, you know, Warriors are probably a lock for the number one seed. Whether a lock, they're a lock for the finals is yet to be determined, but keeping both Curry and Durant fresh for the playoffs, you know, the smart move on, you know, Kerr's part as well as just, you know, you got to realize that playoff Warriors is a whole different monster than regular season Warriors. And they made that apparent last year by sweeping their way to the finals. Absolutely. So it looks like the, the Warriors, you think, are going to make the finals. They're going to take it through the West. Well, then who's the team that will at least make it to the Western Conference Finals to at least play them to get to the finals? I think Houston is a team that can compete with Golden State. Um, I think that they'll be able to make it to the Western Conference Finals. They've been a fantastic team to watch. I don't know if you've seen many Rockets games, but they are fun and exciting, and they run all over the place and put up 150 points. Um, the two things that I've got to say about that, though, is one, they'll be playing against the Warriors. Um, I think, you know, as far as coaching goes, I think Steve Kerr has a, a great game plan for Houston. He's always been a coach that kind of holds his cards until the last second and before showing them. Um, and on top of that, you know, Houston's led by two superstars that have a habit of disappearing in big playoff moments with Chris Paul and James Harden. So I think Houston will definitely, you know, compete, and I think it will be a fun series. But I still think that Golden State will win it in five or six games. All right, so who's the finals, Golden State and who? Uh, As much as I want to say Boston, I just can't doubt LeBron until he gives me any reason to doubt him. Um, So I'm going to say that it's going to be Golden State versus Cleveland. I think Golden State still wins it in five games. I think it'll be a similar series to last year. Um, but look out for Boston. You know, I got to give a shameless plug here to the Celtics. I think, you know, next year and the next few years, Boston might be the team that starts to consistently come out of the East and challenge the Warriors. Solid deal, man. And before we sign off, I kind of want to see what you got to say here. Paul George, where does he end up next season? Oh, Lakers, 100%. <laughs> okay, fair I enough. Think- We're gonna- <laughs> and, and, and do the Lakers – actually put, bring in anybody to actually compete, or is that the only guy they bring in? No. Paul, Paul George will go to the Lakers, and he'll quickly realize it's a lonely, lonely team out there in L.A. when you've got, you know, himself on the Lakers and they're winning 20 games and everyone else around you is a rookie and LeVar Ball's out there criticizing your coach and criticizing you probably. <laughs> I, I, don't it, buy in, I don't buy into the LeBron to L.A. talk. Fair enough. I, I don't either. So I think I'm right with you. Paul George going to L.A. And for all the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hunter, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate it. It's been a fun discussion. Um, yeah, thank you. Not a problem, dude. And if you guys want to li- go go check out Hunter's stuff, Sports Take, I'm going to put the link down here in the description here on the podcast. And uh, you guys want to check his stuff out. It's going to be awesome. Him and his whole crew, they're going to be building this up. 
Job Hunter, and I appreciate you, man. And for all my listeners, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Before you leave, please head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. I would greatly appreciate it because it helps me out a ton. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the support.